Let's bow before the Lord. Our faithful God, we want to honor Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this solemn and joyful time together. We praise you, God the Father, for planning in eternity past the redemption that is made available to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice of pain that was yours as you looked on the suffering of the beloved. We thank you that your love extends beyond the bounds of the comfortable and that we are the undeserving recipients of that love. We praise you, God the Son, for your willing participation in the gracious plan of salvation. Thank you for leaving the splendors of heavenly glory to walk the dusty roads of Palestine so that you could one day die on our behalf, the righteous for the unrighteous. You died in our place. We thank you for the amazing display of power you showed in raising yourself from the dead and the hope, the confident expectation that gives to us of one day being alive for eternity with you. We praise you, God, the Holy Spirit, for the work you've done and are doing in our lives. Thank you for, at a point in time, working in us so that the eyes of our hearts saw our helpless condition, our need of the Savior, and so the beauty of who he is and the good news that is in him. Thank you for your continuing work in us, producing Christ-likeness in us day by day as you use the scriptures that you have given to instruct and even convict us. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the grand demonstration of your plan and power and purpose in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We celebrate that event and all that is connected to it on this blessed day. Receive the prayers of our hearts and the songs of our lips and the gifts that we bring as they are all designed to honor you, the one true and living God. And we pray these things on the authority of our risen Savior and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you and please be seated. On Easter, we celebrate an event that none of us has ever seen, someone being raised from the dead. And it's an event that's recorded in a book that many of us know little about, the Bible. Statistics consistently show that if you ask folks to name four or five of the Ten Commandments, many people struggle. If you ask folks to name four or five of the 12 apostles, many of us would struggle. The truth is, the Bible is an antiquated book that many of us know too little about, and yet we have come today to celebrate an event whose information comes exclusively from that book, something we've never seen in a book most of us know little about. Well, let me, in our short time together, Try to unpack how that book is put together so that we will understand the central message and the central person of the theme of that book, the Bible. The Bible has two major parts, many of you know. We call them the Old and the New Testament. But you could think of them this way. You could think of the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, as a book with promises, with predictions, promises that have been made. 
And then when you come to the second part of your Bible, what we call the New Testament, you could think of it as promises kept. The Bible is a book of promises made and of promises kept. And those promises, those predictions that are made in the first part of your Bible are centered on the life and times and career of one who was promised to come called the Messiah. We know him as the Christ, who is Jesus of Nazareth. And so the first part of your Bible, those promises that have been made, is like a road that's leading to a destination. And then in Jesus, in the New Testament, you arrive at that destination. And then from him as the central figure on whom the story is built, the rest goes out like spokes that are centered on him. These predictions, these promises made in the Old Testament, the first part of your Bible, involve over 300 references to the Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus. The last book of your Old Testament was written 400 years before Jesus came. So I'm going to go through a number of those promises made, and we're going to see how in Jesus those promises were kept. And as I do so, bear in mind that each one of these promises made is at least 400 years before the time that it was kept, that it was fulfilled in Jesus. And so we say in the outline that is in your program, and I encourage you to take a look at that, as we're going to see four things with regard to the resurrection. The first is that the resurrection indeed accomplishes the plan of God. And we know it was God's plan because he made these promises to see it happen long before the events were fulfilled. And so we see the promise made of where the anointed one, the Messiah, would be born. Bethlehem, Micah 5.2 tells us, Though you are small, out of you will come one who will be ruler, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And, of course, that promise was kept in Jesus, who, coming to your New Testament, was indeed born in Bethlehem. The promise was made in the first part of your Bible that this one who would come would be called Emmanuel. And when you come to the very first chapter of the first book of your New Testament, that promise is kept. As the angel said, they will call him Emmanuel and then tells us what that word means. It means God is with us. And so the one who was promised to come is the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah. But this promised one is none other than God himself. God having come as man on a special mission. In order for God to come as man, a promise was made in the first part of your Bible that a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And of course that promise was kept in the Lord Jesus This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to tell us that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. Now, in that passage, I want you to note something else, that Joseph is called the son of David. 
The Bible predicted not only where Jesus would be born and who he would be, God having come in the flesh and what he would be called, and the miraculous conception that would make this happen, but it also predicted the lineage through which the Messiah, Jesus, would come. Although Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he was his legal father. And so the promise was made to Abraham. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And then through Abraham, coming down through Jesse, David's father, and then through David, the Messiah will come up from the stump of Jesse, David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And indeed, the very first verse of your New Testament, tells us that that promise was kept in Jesus. As Matthew begins to lay out the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David and son of Abraham. And then speaking of this as an event that's already been completed, though still hundreds of years off, Isaiah the prophet said this, the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that promise was kept in Jesus. The Bible tells us in Matthew 27 that the Roman governor had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. These predictions, friends, are from hundreds of years before. They're about who he would be. He would be God and where he would be born in Bethlehem and how he would be born miraculously of a virgin and what line he would come from through the line of Abraham and David and what he would do. He would be beaten and executed for our sins. And the predictions continue. They continue giving minute details of what would happen to this promised one. And so the first part of your Bible predicts And says, I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. That promise was kept, that prediction fulfilled in in an amazing way in the time of Jesus. It tells us Judas, who betrayed him, went to the chief priests and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They counted out for him 30 silver coins. And then in precise fulfillment of what was predicted hundreds of years earlier, Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. The chief priest picked up the coins and they decided to use the money to buy what Zechariah had said, a potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. The first part of your Bible predicted that as Jesus was set to be crucified, They will divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. We read that in the New Testament. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And they said, let's not tear it. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them, cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. The Bible made a promise, a prediction, that as Jesus would be upon the cross, he would cry out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And we know that indeed, as Jesus hung there on the cross, the Bible tells us that he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible also predicts that Jesus would not remain in the grave. The first part of your Bible tells us as a promise, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And we celebrate today the fact that that promise too was kept. The Bible tells us that at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. An angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And all of that, friends, all of that took place because a sovereign God who is in control of everything that occurs within his world had so planned it to occur down to the most minute detail. And that's why when Peter preached the first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2 on what is called the day of Pentecost, he said this to the crowd, This man Jesus was handed over to you, but it was by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. The Bible tells us the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders met together to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But notice, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Do you understand, friends? That this book that many of us know little about is really a book about promises that have been made and promises that have been kept in Jesus Christ. We come together today to celebrate the fact that our God is not only able to make these promises, He is able to keep these promises because He controls the world in which they are fulfilled. And they are centered upon God the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we delight to sing, In Christ Alone. Let's stand together as we do. I said at the beginning that on Easter, we celebrate an event that none of us has ever seen, someone raised from the dead. But we have seen that that resurrection was the fulfillment of the plan of God. I want us to see now that this resurrection displays the power of God. None of us has ever seen someone raised from the dead, but though we haven't seen it, because it does not happen naturally, a resurrection can indeed happen supernaturally. And so the question we have to answer is this, do we believe in the supernatural? A more direct way to ask the same thing is, do you believe in God? Because if you believe in a supernatural being, then supernatural events are, well, natural for him. And although none of us has ever seen anyone raised from the dead, we have every reason to believe in someone who indeed can do it. And that's because although I don't know many of you here, 
I do know something about every one of you. I know that you know that God exists. The Bible teaches that every person knows that. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that what may be known about God is plain to all because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. They are understood by what has been made. And so the Bible tells us the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Many of you have heard me say before that foolishness is not, as we often think, it is not the same as ignorance. Ignorance simply means I don't know something. We're all ignorant of some things. Many of us are ignorant of many things. But foolishness is not ignorance. Foolishness is failure to apply what we do know. And even scientifically, it is the case that life only comes from life. And so the fact that there is life here means that there must be life beyond here. The God that made us. It's called the law of biogenesis. And all that we can observe is that natural life comes from existing life. There is no what used to be called spontaneous generation, whether chemical or otherwise. But of course, that doesn't stop many from wanting to believe in such fanciful notions. One scientist said this, Life arose here on earth from inanimate matter by some kind of evolutionary process about four billion years ago. And then he says, this is not a statement of demonstrable fact, but an assumption universally shared by specialists and scientists in general. It's not supported by any direct evidence, nor is it likely to be. But it is consistent with the evidence that we already have, says he. You know, it takes a lot to deny, a lot of faith to deny a creator. I consider myself a man of faith, but I can't muster up enough faith to buy that. You see, friends, the question is not do you have faith, which means belief, but in what or in whom do you believe? And since we all know that God exists, we also know supernatural events are possible. We're the product of one such event, creation. Life comes from life. And you see, friends, God has life in himself. And this God is none other than the one we honor today, Jesus Christ, of whom the Bible says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then notice this next line, in him was life. This one who has life in himself once stood outside the tomb of a dear friend who had died days earlier, a man named Lazarus. And Jesus said to Lazarus's grieving sister, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then the Bible tells us that the God who spoke the world into existence who said, let there be light, and there was light, commanded the dead body of one of his creatures. The Bible tells us that Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The Bible tells us the man came out, his hand and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Many commentators have pointed out 
that if Jesus had not qualified his command, Lazarus, come out. If he had simply said, come out, then all who are in the grave would have been forced to obey the voice of their all-powerful creator. Friends, the power that created the universe is the power that raised Lazarus from the dead. It is the power by which Jesus raised himself from the dead. It is the power that has given us not only physical life, but spiritual life as well. And that's why the Bible says God has given us a new birth into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What we celebrate today is the plan of God, but we also celebrate the power of God. Let's sing of the mighty power of God. Would you stand as we do? The resurrection accomplishes the plan of God, and it displays the power of God. We have for you as well in your outline that the resurrection fulfills the purpose of God. What was the purpose of God? What has been and still is the purpose of God? You may remember that at the very beginning of your Bible, the Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then in these opening chapters it tells us that God fashioned as the height of his creative activity humanity. Humanity alone amongst all creation is said to have been made in the image of God. And God assigned to this most special creature certain duties for him to perform on God's behalf. And so in the opening chapter of the Bible, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God gave what many have called a mandate, a creation mandate to humanity to rule on his behalf and to reflect God back to God as his image bearer. And so as God's vice regent ruling for him in his world, humanity was to reflect God's thoughts and God's words and God's actions as we image him as his image bearers. That's why in the New Testament, the Bible says of humanity, you crowned humanity with glory and honor, and you put everything under his feet. God put everything under the feet of Adam. And Adam and then his progeny, us, we were to rule on God's behalf as his image In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. But something has gone horribly wrong, such that God's purpose for humanity has not yet been fulfilled. The image with which we were created has now been distorted by the entrance of sin into God's otherwise good world. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, that although you crowned humanity with glory and honor, put everything under his feet, yet at present 
we do not see everything subject to humanity. In other words, we do not see man fulfilling the purpose for which God placed him here. It's one of the great understatements in one line in the Bible. Yet at present, we do not see man ruling as God intended him to rule on his behalf. So what do we see? What is our hope? How does the resurrection fulfill the purpose, the original purpose that God had? Well, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But thanks be to God, the writer of Hebrews says, but we see Jesus. And what do we see in Jesus? Jesus is now crowned with that very glory and honor that the writer has just told us was the original intention for humanity made in the image of God. Now we see God having come as man. And he now has been crowned with that glory and honor that was intended for us to rule on God's behalf. The writer goes on to say, we see Jesus crowned with this glory and honor. But there's a reason. He's crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death. So that the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. How is it that Jesus receives this glory and honor because, as a consequence of, suffering death? Well, here's why, my friends. The first Adam, our father Adam, was crowned with glory and honor, made in the image of God, and was given specific instructions by God, which he disobeyed. But where the first Adam disobeyed, the last Adam, Jesus, has perfectly obeyed. And he obeyed by going to the cross and dying for the sins of others. And that's why Romans chapter 5 says, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That's why in this beautiful, what was probably an early hymn of the first century church recorded in Philippians chapter 2, with which many of you are familiar. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because he obeyed where the first Adam disobeyed, the passage goes on to say, therefore, because of that, as a consequence of that obedience, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and I want you to notice, and under the earth. There will be a time where people in hell with clenched teeth will have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. On earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, where the first Adam failed, the last Adam has conquered Thanks be to God. The death that Adam brought, Christ has conquered through his death on the cross and then his raising himself from the dead, the event that we celebrate today. It is only in Jesus that you can be 
what you were designed to be, only in Jesus. And you see, friends, our problem is not that we are pursuing too much and we don't have time for Jesus. It's that we are pursuing too little and don't see our need for Jesus. The grand purpose for which we were made is found only in having your life and my life linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection fulfills the purpose of God. Our ensemble is going to sing of that blessed resurrection. The resurrection accomplishes the plan of God. And the resurrection fulfills the purpose of God. It displays the power. And the resurrection fulfills that purpose of God, not just in general, but it does so for you and for me. I mentioned earlier that the only way for you, for me, for anyone to be what he or she was designed, intended to be, is to be rightly related to the God-man, Jesus Christ. And see, friends, our great sin is this, that we believe that we can find fulfillment and satisfaction some other way. And so we build our lives around our careers and our jobs and our families and our vacations, many otherwise good things, but we seek to find our satisfaction and fulfillment in them. When we were designed for God and we are separated from God until we are rightly related to him through the God-man Jesus. And so at the end of our time, our last point is that the resurrection of Jesus, what he conquered in his death and in his resurrection is fulfilling God's purpose for you and for me. We're going to offer you opportunity to, if you have come to Jesus, thank him for who he is and what he has done and the difference that it's made in your life. If you've never come to him, we'll offer you opportunity to be rightly related to God through him. First, we want to stand and sing, and then our ensemble will have another number. We'll have a short video, and we'll close our time together. Let's stand together as we sing, My Hope is in the Lord.
just a moment and we're going to thank the Lord for the sacrifice of God the Son and that he conquered death and thus fulfilled his purpose for mankind in the resurrection we also want to give opportunity for any who have never come to God through Christ to do so when we bow in just a moment how do I do that you realize that you are a sinner as am I, as are all of us. You recognize that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin to take your place. You repent of your sin. You say, I'm no longer going to follow my own whims and desires. I'm going to follow him who died for me. That's what repentance means, to go a different direction now. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. When we bow and pray in your own words from your heart to God, you acknowledge that he died for you. You ask him to forgive you. 
If you give your life to him and he gives you the promise of eternal life. Now, friends, we've seen promises made and promises kept. And one of the blessed promises is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a promise that you can count on for eternity. But I don't say this unkindly. God also says any who reject his son will be separated from him forever in a God-forsaken place called hell. And that is a promise that God will keep also. And so I urgently ask you and encourage you to receive Jesus Christ and become rightly related to the God who made you through him. Let's bow together. We thank you, our Father, for the sacred hour in your presence on this very special day. We thank you for what it represents. God the Son, having come to do for me, to do for us, what we could not do for ourselves. I thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I thank you as well that that body is no longer in the grave because the grave indeed could not hold him. And he is alive, the Lord of glory, and he is returning one day to receive all of those who have come to you through him, to himself, and there we will be with him forever. Lord, we believe you will return because we believe you're alive, and we believe you're alive this moment, and you are active in our lives. We thank you for the transformation that it has made in us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And so, Lord, as we celebrate this, I pray that we will do so focused upon the marvelous gift that has come to us in Jesus. And may we refocus, may I do so, may your people do so, refocus our priorities so that they are centered in him. And I pray that if there's anyone here who not, has not been, prior to coming into this hour, familiar with who Jesus is and what he did and the book that tells us about it, that today has answered some of their questions and that they have seen that it was for, for them that Jesus gave himself and has risen and offers them life. I pray that they are receiving that life in this sacred moment. And may we honor you with our lives, both on this Easter day and season and every day and month and year. For you are indeed worthy. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.